when we are able to be so vulnerable with ourselves and face it with compassion and not judgment for this, like the betterment of ourselves and the betterment of humanity, it is such a great experience as you walk through it and as you come out the other end. Hello and welcome to the BBXX podcast. Let's get intimate. I'm your host, Sasha Laurie, and I'm here to bring you content, conversations, insights, perspectives, and lessons learned that will bring you closer to a deeper appreciation for and relationship with yourself. I'm here to bring you conversations about sexuality, self-awareness, self-development, relationships, intimacy, exploration that will guide you on your journey to deeper self-understanding. Our close relationships account for 70% of our happiness and 90% of our well-being. So better relationships really does mean a better life. I'm so happy to have you here with me. And as always, I'm right here next to you along for the ride on this wild, crazy, beautiful journey. Dr. Jen Blossom helps high achievers break free from the relentless internal pressures that trap us so that we can mentally feel and perform at our highest level without having to sacrifice ourselves Some of us, along the way to great achievements and success and striving for what's next, may come to realize that we've done it at the sacrifice of ourselves, our health, our joy, family, freedom, or our sanity altogether. Today, we talk about how to move from mental stress to mental strength, how we might confound those and what the important difference is between them, ways to protect and enhance our energy, and how becoming more aware of the sensory environment around us can be a helpful, actionable advice in order to help us do so. Hello, how are you? Hi. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on today. Doing so great in the studio. <laughs> I love it. I love your studio. It's honestly the like light looks great. The sound is great. So I'm totally here for it. And it you makes it more fun and creative. I've never seen a car studio before. Yeah. This is only my second time doing this. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know what, when we're committed, whatever life throws away, we just show up and get it done. So you got to pack the camera, pack the lights, pack the headphones, and here we are. <laughs> Lights, camera, action. Here we are. I love that the dedication and it feels completely appropriate and I'm sure extremely relatable for a lot of people. Like I'm going to make it happen. I don't know how and where, but I'm here. I'm committed and I'm going to get creative. So wonderful. Well, I would love to have us start out this interview by inviting you to tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you came to be doing the work that you do today. 
Yes, I love it. Well, thank you for this opportunity to just be here, to have these conversations for the high achievers. We are in this space, and I think it's so important that we're able to step into these vulnerable, raw, real conversations. So thank you for just allowing me that time and space to be here and to share that. So my name is Jennifer Blossom. I am a peak performance and executive coach, and I'm also an occupational therapist. And I'm all about helping high achievers truly create and experience this extraordinary success without the mental sacrifice. And I feel like that is the space where we are in right now, where it's like, we want the success, but at the sacrifice of our well-being, of our mental health, of our emotional health. And so it's learning how we can truly create that success from the inside out and live in this peak alignment. When we're able to get there and create that. It is just this positive ripple effect for everybody around us. So that is the long-winded version of what I do. A lot of this training came out of my own experience of being a successful individual, right? Like you look the part, you dress the part, you have all the things, the house, the cars, the family, the money, and you're silently suffering on the inside. And so that was my story, was this grind of getting through grad school, getting my doctorate, opening a private practice, and opening an online coaching practice, and all these really great things that were exciting. And from the outside, they looked super successful, and by all means they were, but I was breaking on the inside. And so my story is I struggled a lot with anxiety attacks, panic attacks, and really to the point where it was crippling me. And I was afraid, I was afraid of living. I was afraid of dying during childbirth. I was afraid of heart attacks and strokes and cancers and the crashing in the planes and crashing in the cars. It was just this catastrophic way of living while I was going about like building businesses and having babies and all of these things. And I had this one day, we actually had moved to Washington state from Alaska and I was going out for a run and I had this massive anxiety attack and it was super like a very physiological attack. And it felt like I was having a heart attack, to be honest. And in that moment, I was like, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep showing up and having these anxiety attacks and panic attacks and trying to build all these things. And so that's what really led me down this path of exploring, okay, how can we be high achievers and also take incredible care of ourselves from the inside out? And in that work, it's just been so exciting and exhilarating to see and to just walk in the hearts and the homes of all these high achievers and to really help heal that inside, whether it is anxiety or depression or imposter syndrome or self-doubt or whatever those silent struggles are, help these individuals work on that so we can really just exuberate that success in ways that we always knew were possible, but didn't have never experienced, never felt until now. And so it is just this beautiful journey. And I'm just excited to, to be here to share about it. So thank you for having me. Wow. What you just explained and those feelings, it sounds so intense, right? And so relatable too for people on the other end to know, okay, I'm not the only one who might be experiencing this. And people who are practitioners have even experienced this. And in fact, it's probably a lot of what has come to shape your work and what helps your work resonate even more deeply with these people is the fact that you have been through a lot of this yourself. When you talk about these moments and these times where you were having these anxiety attacks and you were deeply I don't want to use the word unhappy because I'm not sure kind of what your emotions were. But my question is, 
where was your mind at? Was there a lot of justification? Oh, this is normal, or this will go away, or I know this is wrong, I need help. Where was your mind at? Were you able to kind of recognize that something needed to change, or was it not until it really like kind of things went over a cliff that you were able to look at it and say something has to change? That's a great question. I think the word that feels really appropriate is trapped. It's like I knew I was like internally trapped. Like I knew I wanted to change and I wanted to get out of this perpetual cycle of fear, but I didn't know how. And I was embarrassed because I was the leader, right? Like I had all the things. I looked the part. I was teaching and helping and training and speaking So why was I suffering with this? And so that created this like internal battle or internal conundrum of like, how do I get the help when that could be weakness, when that could be seen as, oh, you're a fraud, when actually like it has become my superpower and this sense of vulnerability that has allowed me, like you said, to connect so much deeper with other people because I'm able to empathize and feel it because I've been there. And that level of humanity has has been the greatest blessing and the greatest gift, but I had to get real honest with myself and get to the real hard root and the real hard core of those like deepest, darkest struggles that I was like, Oh God, like the only way, the only way I'm going to get through this is like actually like walking through this, like doing the deep work. I just pressed it, stuffed it, ignored it, avoided it for so many years because it was painful. And when I gently opened that up, it was awful. And it was so hard, but that was the path to healing. And I think we're so afraid to face that because it is hard. It is scary. But when we are able to be so vulnerable with ourselves and face it with compassion and not judgment for this, like the betterment of ourselves and the betterment of humanity, it is such a great experience as you walk through it and as you come out the other end. Yeah. And it's so interesting because that fear of judgment, which I'm sure a lot of people have, and particularly in an instance where you might think to yourself, oh, I'm on a pedestal. People look to me to be perfect or to have already overcome these things or to give them advice. But when we're able to make that perspective shift and think, oh, actually, this isn't a weakness. This is a superpower. Or as when we put ourselves in the shoes of somebody who's looking for help, and recognize that actually we probably want to work with people who have been through what we're going through firsthand. Because yes, they might be able to have the same objective knowledge and expertise, but on that level of empathy and true ability to see and hear and feel and be in our shoes, you can't have that unless that person has been where you are. And in this case, now you have. And so that actually does make you not less qualified to help people, but even more able to do so. For sure. Yeah. It's like you have the book smarts and like the street cred, right? Like you understand like the science yeah. behind it and like the education behind it, but nothing can prepare mm-hmm. you than actually like walking through it. And I would take that time and time again versus sitting in the classroom and reading about it versus like being in the actual field of life and like game of life and experiencing it. As like a very, a more objective metaphor, I recently was talking to somebody who is an OBGYN 
And of course, she was helping women have birth for a long time before she had her own children. And with the birth of her first child, it was actually much more complicated and way more intense than she had ever expected. And she just had this entire perspective shift. And she said she now has, it's not that she didn't have empathy for these women before, but she hadn't been there and been in some of these more extreme and more emotional and chaotic situations. And having been that person on the other end, she said that it totally transformed the way she connects with, understands, and the empathy that she has for the women that she's helping give birth now. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you can help and be a great doctor, a great OBGYN, but inevitably, you know, if you've literally been there with a child coming out of you, like you're going to have a different way of relating. Yes. That yeah. cannot be replicated otherwise. Like, good luck watching videos and, like, really knowing what it's like. Right. Nothing quite like experiencing it to have that connection. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of when you were in these places and where your mind was at, so you mentioned that fear or kind of almost shame or embarrassment was part of it. What do you see? Because it sounds like in that case, it almost wasn't the awareness that was stopping you but these other things, the fear of judgment. So my question would be two-part. One, how can people recognize this, that this might be them and recognize it sooner, right? Not have to hit that wall. And then two, what are the things that keep people from getting help? How often is it that awareness versus what are the other most common things? And how can we break down some of those to help people kind of dissolve them or see that perspective shift? and see that those actually shouldn't be things that that we should be letting us stop us from getting to the other side. Right. So first, having that self-awareness is so important. And oftentimes we can get so used to going through life and almost numbing out, almost showing up with this mundane attitude and we're numbing out feelings, we're numbing out our own emotions because we've never been taught how to recognize them, how to feel them, how to process them, how to allow them to be there and how to choose different emotions. There's this huge just bandwidth of emotional well-being that I take our clients through and a lot of times clients are like, oh my God, this is like so foreign because we're never taught this. And so the very first step is noticing that self-awareness. And a great practical way to do this is to create this time in the morning to do a brain dump. And a brain dump really is just like getting out a sheet of paper and writing down everything that is swirling through your mind right now. And from there, you're able to kind of pinpoint if there's any thoughts or any any situational things that you feel stuck on or hung up on or just something feels out of alignment. And from there, we're able to pinpoint that sticky area and start to ask ourselves why and dive deeper into that core of why we're feeling this way and getting to the root of that. And from there, we're able to be more proactive with where we're feeling this discord or this disharmony. And we can start to build out that evidence for what we need to do to move forward, to process through that, to work through that, instead of just ignoring it. Because eventually, like if we if we suppress, if we stuff, 
something's going to explode at some point. And then we're going to have all this callous work to do because we were not proactive with it. And so we'd like to shove it because it's uncomfortable. But I would say to people like, you can handle any emotion. Like it is just an emotion. And as painful as they can be, we can handle that vibration in our body. And so it's learning how to develop that self-awareness to figure out what is bothering us, what is making us feel off or in out of alignment or discord. And then that second part of your question is figuring out what are my next steps from here? And that's where it can feel really overwhelming because we can only do so much by ourselves, especially if we don't have these tools. And then, so that's why it's really important to invest in either a coach, a mentor, a therapist, a counselor, a mastermind, a court, like any of these tools, there's so many options to choose from, right? And so we can get really, I guess, quick to look for those external solutions, but the answers are within here. But sometimes we need that guide to help us see a different perspective or that guide to help us kind of piece together some thoughts or some different ways of thinking. So it's learning what you need in this moment, like what kind of support you need in this moment to help you find those answers from within. And so it's looking at that next step and taking that next step forward. Because if we don't change, if we don't challenge our mind to think differently, to expand, to grow, to evolve, to shift in perspective, we're going to keep staying in that same perpetual cycle over and over again. And those feelings are going to build and callous and harden over time. And we're going to have more of a mental mess to clean up down the road. And so it's learning how to ask yourself and really trust that inner wisdom of what kind of support do I need right now? And then doing the steps to move yourself forward to get that support, to find those answers and that healing from within. Right. And so that first part really just being You mentioned one way to do it would be a brain dump, which you would just recommend people write even for a short amount of time, just anything that comes to mind, like no pressure, no time minimum, and almost like get everything outside of us and start to just get some of the puzzle pieces. You don't need to know how to put them together. You don't need to know, you don't need to know how to put the picture together or understand what you're even looking at, but just to start accumulating puzzle pieces so that you can find the right tools or find the right people who can kind of help you guide you through that process and even challenge your perspective and give you ways that it might actually be much more efficient, right? Because people think, oh, I need to completely like change who I am or whatever. And it's like, no, you actually just need to change your perspective here. (laughs) not who you are and not the way you're doing it, just the way you were thinking about it. So some of those shortcuts, so like systems of doing things are like, oh no, you don't have to put the whole puzzle together at once. Just start little by little and like start finding the corner pieces first and then start with the grass and then the sky and looking for patterns that can help us kind of break it down into these smaller steps and give us tools to go about doing it. But again, I feel like those perspective shifts are some of the biggest things that we can possibly do. Yeah. One of the analogies that I use for our clients is it's like our mind is this big yarn ball. And so when we're able to, and oftentimes people try to solve all the problems just by thinking about them, which can help, but it's not as effective as getting out all of the thoughts that are just tumbled up into this big yarn ball and separating them out piece by piece by piece by piece. We're able to look at them on paper 
there's no time limit, right? I think that where people can get so caught up is thinking that, okay, I have to write for 10 minutes. It's like, do what feels good for you and do with it what you want. Like have that intuitive piece. But when we're able to get it out of our head and onto paper and we're able to see them, that in itself helps us to almost create this cognitive distance from our thoughts. We can be like, oh, like, these are just thoughts. These are just thoughts on paper. These are just words strung together that make a sentence in my mind. And when we have them on a piece of paper, we can better gain that perspective and that clarity of how to start to fix them and work through them and mold them and destruct them and reconstruct them and put them back in our brain the way we want to put them back in, not just let the yarn ball just continue to ball up and get intertwined and tangled. It's just really being proactive with that. So in terms of some of the topics that you talk about with people, this idea of emotional baseline is one of them. How would you say emotional baseline ties into what we're talking about now? Yeah, that's this is one of my favorite things to talk about because our emotional baseline is kind of like our happiness baseline. Like it's where we like to hang out. It's where our emotions are most of the time. And so if we were looking at, okay, how do you feel on a regular basis? Like if you were to zoom out and look at your entire week, you could pinpoint where you feel emotionally on a regular basis. And some people are emotionally super low and their energy is low and their mindset is more negative. And it's just like, if we were looking at a scale from like a zero to a hundred, it could be like 20, 25%. Some people who show up and do the work, not in this toxic positivity where I'm going to show up and be super happy and I'm going to forget and stuff all the negative things. It's not a toxic positivity sense. It's I'm showing up, I'm doing the work, I'm processing through my emotions. I understand that some days are harder than others and I'm intentionally choosing how I want to feel today. That mindset, that energy, we're able to pull up that emotional baseline, our emotional happiness set point to be more of like a 60% or an 85%. And so that a baseline is where we hang out and where we live emotionally on a day-by-day basis. And we know that with that set point, some days are higher than others, some days are low, some days are lower than others, but we know that we like to rest and reside right on that area. And so knowing where you stand on that baseline is a really good starting point for when we begin to dive into this work of learning how to grow our intentionality of our focus, our emotional calibration, all of these things that we want to work towards. Knowing where our starting point is, is crucial because from there we're able to figure out, okay, like why do we dip? What makes us go higher? How can we swing that pendulum and rest at a higher point emotionally and begin to generate those feelings and those mindset shifts that help us to feel better and pull us higher rather than sitting down in a lower state of being. And that's where a lot of people live in the world today is that lower frequency, that lower state of being, just because we're never taught these tools for how to move that baseline forward. And recognizing that some people do have different emotional baselines kind of naturally So part of it is that, and we do have an ability to change and influence our emotional baseline through different tools, through changing our ways of thinking, our perspective on things. And so what I think is interesting, while somebody might be naturally with the same amount of effort or even less effort, naturally higher than somebody else, there's also the part where considering and looking at those patterns and saying, okay, where am I? What is my emotional baseline at now? And even just looking at it, 
it might be very different than what you would like it to be. And so not even comparing necessarily to other people, but comparing to where you want to be, right? Maybe you do the exercise and recognize, okay, I'm at a two or a three and I want to be and believe that I can be, yes, maybe I'm not going to be an eight or a nine. And there are some people who are up at those levels and also people who might be toxically positive up at those levels. But saying, but heck, I believe and know I can be a five or a six. So what is it going to require for me to get there? And I think that can be really powerful of taking the ownership and saying, okay, I know I want, can, and believe I will be at X number if I do the work. Yes. And that's the key. If I do the work. And especially when we start this journey, it's going to be harder. It's going to be stickier because essentially like you are holding space in your brain for two different pathways, right? Like our first pathway is what those behavioral habits is what you're so conditioned to feel, to think, to believe. And when you start to step into this world of, and I want to tap into that neuroplasticity, the neuroplasticity is your brain's ability to rewire itself through intentional thought, through intentional effort. And it takes effort because those pathways of your thoughts right now, your feelings right now, it is your brain's good too. It is your brain's natural way of thinking and feeling. And you've gotten so good at thinking those thoughts and feeling all those feels that when you're like, yeah, and I want to start feeling this way now, it's going to take effort for you to be able to rewire and reconstruct that brain. And it's worth it. And it won't always feel as hard and as heavy in the beginning because right now you're carving in those new neural pathways. It's like those new pathways in the Grand Canyon, right? And so we have to be able to know that it's going to take more cognitive energy and cognitive resources and be willing to do the work because it's worth it. And so being able to fight for that for yourself every single day because you're worth it and the ability to create that internal energy and happiness and peace that you want is on the other side of doing your work. Yeah. And it's definitely not easy. And like you said, it takes time because you're creating these new pathways, but you're also trying to get rid of old pathways. So I did a course last year on the neuroscience of chronic pain, but it turns out that all pain originates in your brain, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain, they're pretty much the same thing, the way your brain processes it. So it's also deeply tied with like trauma, emotional stress, anxiety, particularly if these problems are chronic. They're basically very similar overall, if not the same. And there's this TED talk that I am obsessed with by this Australian kind of pain doctor, neuroscientist, And he talks about how a lot of what it is, is your brain has developed these pathways that at one point probably were productive and served to protect you in some way, but they've become maladaptive and they've gone too far. And so now these habits or reactions or stressors are being over agitated and are overcompensating and going to the point again where they are no longer serving you. In fact, they're hurting or harming you because all the alerts are going on when they're not necessary. He gives, actually, I'll just give the example that he does. He talks about how this one time he was walking through the bush 
in Australia and something kind of brushed up against his hip and brushed up against his leg. And he stopped and he goes through this really funny sequence where he's like, oh, brain talks to this part, to this part. Okay, what happened? Are there any stressors? Is what, have I ever been here before? Is this familiar? Have I ever been in a similar situation? Have I ever been harmed? And he goes, okay, well, as the brain talking to itself, I grew up in the bush. I used to walk through here all the time. There are often branches that brush up against my leg. Okay, no pain registered, no threat registered. Keep going. A few minutes later... Shortly after, he almost died because he had been bitten by a brown snake. And so what happened is that his brain had failed to protect him. And he almost could have died as a result. So months later, he's walking through the bush, just walking through a similar situation. Something brushes up against his leg and he collapses onto the ground, writhing in pain and anguish, screaming, paralyzed by the pain. Eventually, he comes to realize that he had merely brushed up against a branch while he was walking, but his brain was so determined not to fail like it had last time, so it became so much more hypersensitized because it said, I will not fail you again. I will not almost let you die again. So now, anytime there's any basic threat, I'm going to turn the alert as high up as possible. So you are paralyzed and you're screaming and they can't be ignored. And so he talks about these brains and our pathways. Eventually, when we have these recurring things we're exposed to or recurring habits or thought patterns, they start off as dirt roads, then they become paved roads, and then they become highways. And it's just this shortcut down the highway to that protection mechanism. But again, most of the time, it's actually no longer effective. And so we have to break down that highway and put up blockers and detours and reroute things. But that takes a really long time to do. But when we manage to do it, can cure chronic pain, can cure trauma, can have profoundly unexpected and shocking and magnificent results. Yes. And it is that mental basically like mental training. I always use the analogy of sports. Like we're a huge sports family at my house, but it's like going to the gym. It's the mental reps. It is building that mental muscle and really training yourself mentally to be able to think differently and neutralize those thoughts and not making yourself wrong. Like I think that's one of the biggest things too. Like, especially like in my journey, I feel like I went through a season where I was so mad at myself of like, why did you get stuck here? Why did you like, it's just like this internal, just like a drill sergeant to myself. And when I was able to flip that and really meet it with compassion, be like, Jenny, you didn't know any other way. Like you were never taught this. Your brain always went this on default. Like you, you never knew. And so being able to see yourself and talk to yourself from a very kind perspective and a very compassionate and a very curious perspective, that really allows this space to open up and create the healing process. I would love to continue this conversation and take off on what we were talking about in terms of how what originally starts out as mental strength can kind of devolve or push past a certain point of productivity and become mental stress 
to segue into this topic, which you talk a lot about, of then how to move from mental stress into mental strength, whether it's to come full circle or having lived in that area and space of mental stress for a long time, how would you describe what this transition means? When is it most impactful? And what are some of the tools that you like to introduce people to when encouraging them to move from this place of mental stress to mental strength? Yeah, I think these key concepts of mental stress and mental strength, they come from a good place, right? Like we want to be able to be that individual who is mentally strong, but some of the habits that have got us to where we do feel mentally strong can also have the adverse effect and causing us to feel mentally stressed to the degree of not exercising our self-awareness. And so an example would be like we want to be super productive and get all of these things done. So we work around the clock, around the hour. We burn the candle at both ends in the name of productivity, in the name of advancement, in the name of trying to get and achieve that next thing. And so you can see this, what started out as a good thing, right? And showing up and doing the work and creating the impact and being a super strong and an individual who walks in alignment now has these patterns, these habits that have caused this internal stress, this internal burnout, this internal exhaustion, which started out to be a good thing, but ended up being a point now where we have made these little one degree increments and one degree choices and decisions that didn't seem like a big deal in the moment. But over time, those one degree decisions get us to a completely different destination than where we had intended to be. So that productivity is just one example. But another example could be one that most people don't realize, but it can actually be used against them. And that is in the world of personal development, right? So all of our listeners here, like we are here, we are hungry to learn, we want to consume and consume. And we almost use this consumption of personal development and personal growth as a buffer to actually doing the work. So it sounds great. It feels great. But then we never take that next step and actually apply what we're learning. So when this perpetual consistent state of mental and internal stress, even though we're learning the tools, but we're not applying them. So that application piece is super important for becoming an individual who has the discernment to be mentally strong in, in our walk of life. And so it all boils down to that self-awareness and truly knowing ourselves and how we want to feel those emotions that we want to experience on a regular basis and also not making the hard emotions a problem. I think anytime we feel a negative emotion or an emotion that feels lower than what we want to be experiencing, we can make it a bigger deal than it needs to be. So having the ability to process it in the moment to either move through it or redirect it or analyze like, hey, what's going on here? And what do I need to really like be in control of this situation? That in itself is where our greatest power resides. And I think that we are looking for a cookie cutter answer or a step one, two, three, four, but it's really about that self-awareness and then knowing which tools to pull out of your toolbox to step into this place of that internal strength that's available for all of us. One of the expressions that I love is this concept that every strength past a certain point is a weakness, 
right? Because it's so true. Like we were talking about some of the things that have helped us, that have defined us, that have gotten us to where we are today are in a way strength, but past a certain point, no longer serve us, hold us back, limit us completely. And so there's confusion sometimes between perhaps strength and opportunity for growth or even stress and strength, right? Some people's definition of mental strength might be gritting it out and just like making it work, being a bit miserable, feeling like they're running on empty all the time versus some other people's definition of mental strength might actually be pausing, taking a break, allowing all of our emotions to catch up with us and facing things. So how would you help people define or perhaps challenge common definitions and differences between what mental stress versus mental strength is or should be? Yeah, that's a great question and one that I'm going to challenge our listeners to ask themselves. And like every great coach out there knows that when the client is able to answer their own questions with that guidance, like that's where that inner wisdom is unlocked. And so let's ask our audience, like for each of you listening today, what is and what does mental strength mean to you? Because like you were saying, your definition of mental strength could be different than my definition and our definitions could change on a daily, hourly basis. And so the baseline is being able to quiet your mind enough to really go inside and ask yourself, what does it look like to be mentally strong in this moment? And like you were saying, sometimes that strength may look like having the discipline and the discernment and the focus, turn off the distractions and to really hammer out a work project for the next hour and a half. And then it might look like being mentally strong and then, you know, the two hours later to turn your mind off and to fully pour back into yourself mentally, emotionally, spiritually, going for a walk outside, playing with your kids, taking a sauna, like whatever it is that you need in that moment. So it's being able to ebb and flow what your what your focus and your intentions and your drive is for that day and being able to flow in and out of what you're doing, what you need to get done and what your soul is craving and having that discernment and that awareness And like I was saying, like really ebb and flowing through that is where we're going to catch this mental strength and this mental stride. Right. So what I'm hearing is a big part of mental strength is knowing and accepting that what you're going to need and crave is going to be different on different days and even what will serve you or won't serve you. And so having the agility, the adaptability to read into the different circumstances and use logic, but also this intuition and not constantly live in force or constantly live in flow, but actually be able to do what will serve you best, whether sometimes that's living in kind of buckling down or taking a step back, that mental strength will look different and will feel very different on different days. And of course, for different people. One thing I love is this idea that everybody's 100% is different. So not only is somebody's 100% going to look completely different than another person, whether you think of like an extrovert or an introvert, right? Somebody who's an introvert going to a party, going out, they might be really 
using up 100% of what they have in the tank versus for the extrovert, it might be this like effortless whatever, or even weightlifting, right? An Olympic weightlifter might be exerting 20% and they're still going to be able to lift more than any other normal person exerting 150%, right? So everybody's 100% is different. And on any given day, our own 100% looks different. So it's not that oh, I'm operating at 50%. Today, I'm slacking off. No, your 100% just looks and feels really different today and not selling ourselves short and allowing ourselves to tell those stories that don't serve us, but recognizing, no, today, this is my 100%. This is what I have. This is what mental strength is today and not selling ourselves short. Yeah. And I think that's the gap that we're seeing. And the one that I am just so passionate about filling is that internal awareness and truly being led by your soul. Because here's the thing is like when we, when we claim this like quote unquote mental strength and we have it as achieving this, achieving that, that's when we get caught in that cycle of burnout because we think we have to perform at this certain level every single day. When if someday like your energy is super low, you need to rest, like you're just trying to grind through it. And yes, like there are seasons and projects and things like where you're going to have to buckle down and get it done. And that is different than lacking the complete awareness of knowing when to step off the gas a little bit or when to push down. And so it is like just having that true connection with your soul and knowing what you need and providing that for yourself and doing so unapologetically. One of the other terms that you use or these concepts you talk about success without sacrifice, which, you know, kind of is related to working smarter, not harder and ways to protect your energy or tools for energy protection. One of the things that I love talking to my clients about is okay, yes, what is the financial ROI or the time ROI on things? But challenging people to start thinking about everything as what is the energetic ROI? Because that probably is at the root and is going to create as a result positive consequences across those other areas of ROI. But really focusing in on energetically, what is the ROI? Because if all of these things are, are completely sucking the energy out of you, then it's actually probably keeping you from higher... ROI on your time or higher ROI financially. What would you suggest or what are some of your favorite tools or frameworks for thinking about protecting and kind of optimizing our energy? Yeah, this is one of my favorite topics because I feel like it can be such a novel concept because we're so used to the practical to-do list and this and that, but we cannot give what we don't have. And so if our energy is completely bottomed out because we're going from task to task, to project, to thing, our brain's going all day long, we are going to feel and operate at such a low level frequency, even though we can mask it, even though we can look the part, we can put on the smile, we can produce the work, there's still this discord and this unalignment internally. And so that's where like the work of energetics is so powerful and so, so important. And I, I feel like also people are looking for this crazy new answer when in reality, it's all getting back to the basics. It's like, oh my gosh, like this is like old faithful 101 and not many people are 
practicing this. And so there's lots of different tools and strategies that we can implement on a daily basis. But again, it is what works for you. And so the first thing is making sure that you are preparing your mind for success and you define that success for any given day. I've asked before my clients come in, it's like, okay, what are you guys doing in the morning? And more, more frequent than not, the majority are just waking up and getting right after their day without any kind of mental preparation. And so having that intention setting first, working through all of your stuff and your mind and your heart before your day even starts, and then setting your day up with intention. How do I want to show up at show up today? Who do I want to show up as today? How can I experience more joy today, more purpose, more drive? All of these things, asking ourselves better questions so we can get better results. We start our morning off with intention first. And then we look at the basic principles, right? Like nutrition, the sleep, the hydration. And it's like, we know these things, but are you applying them, right? Like, are you protecting your sleep or are you watching Netflix until midnight? Are you on your phone? Are you grabbing your phone first thing in the morning? So really doing a, an executive audit over your basic health habits and looking at how you can step it up every single day and really honoring that about yourself. And then infusing, I mean, time outside in nature is just, it's so important. And so making sure you're getting outside every single day. I'm like, rain or shine, we are out there. Even if it's for 10 minutes, there is such a humane connection with nature that I think is such a lost art these days. And so it's, I always encourage our clients, like get outside, make sure you are just in the creation of all the goodness around us. And then lastly, it's like, okay, we know our start our morning off well, really audit our basic habits, get out in nature. This one is one of my favorite ones to unpack because people are like, oh, we can do this. And it actually, it spurred, I was on a girl's trip to Hawaii and I saw this really cool book in the Seattle airport. It was super cute. It was called The Fun Habit. And I was like, oh my gosh, this cover is so cute. It's bright. And I want to learn more about The Fun Habit. So I feel like when I got, became an adult, whatever, we're classified as an adult, I still feel like I'm a child, whatever. But Anyways, I was like, we just stopped having fun. Like we became so serious and so stressed and I want to have more freaking fun in my life. And so I was reading this book and it really ignited this new habit of fun and experiences and adventure that my soul was craving and I didn't even realize it. And so I have been practicing this new muscle of creating more fun moments every single day and intentionally planning them for any given month, whether it's a local travel to the beach or a new book or going to this or just little thing like sauna, just things that I don't do on a regular basis to have more fun, to actually like belly laugh and engage and really do things that give you that happiness advantage in your own life that fills you up and fills up that energy like there's no tomorrow. So I would say those things really take and choose what you want. But if you can apply these basic principles, it's really going to help bring that energy up. Yeah, I think, well, just going off of that last one that you mentioned of how to incorporate more fun or even play into our lives is something I've been talking about a lot lately to some of my friends. I was, I was, Talking with one of my friends a few months ago about just some of the weird, bizarre stuff we used to do when we were young and how we were laughing so hard. And I was like, why am I not weird enough anymore? Like, I feel like I just want to be weirder on a regular basis, right? Or get into that mindset or... And so I started trying to come up with like prompts of like, okay, I will act out 
as a different animal each day or like pretend I'm a character from a book or something or just even if it were a few like weird brief moments or seconds of like role playing or some sort of play. One of my sisters was telling me how in her relationship they've been playing this game where they sometimes like plan it in advance, but sometimes they just slip into this where they pretend they don't know each other. And so like they'll ha- they'll they met at a bar once and had this entire interaction and like people at the bar were a part of it and the bartenders, right? Like not knowing that they actually knew each other and were dating. And so all kinds of just like weird shit yeah. we should do more frequently. And I think that when we were kids, it came so naturally. Now I think we need tools and prompts and permission to tap into that. But when we have those, it can be really helpful and it can be so liberating to be able to have that feeling of that weirdness or liberation or belly laugh or whatever it is, right? Because laughing that hard only comes from certain types of things, which often are like very unfamiliar or surprising or whatever you have it. They don't come from the day-to-day and the grind and the default. Right. And I will say too, I love that. I'm like, oh, I like take that animal one. My kids would love it. But one and of the- I think often like the one of the number one, right, people who are parents talk about, okay, one of the best things about having kids is you can have that permission, that like gateway into that. But and then ways of, okay, well, how can we create that otherwise as well? Yeah. Yeah. It, one of the easiest ways, because sometimes it can be hard, right? It can be hard to be in this grind and then immediately like flip and switch into, okay, now I need to be playful and fun. And it can be hard to make that transition, especially like if you pay attention to your energy throughout the day, we have ebbs and flows. Like you have different peaks throughout your day where you feel higher energy and then lower energy. So it's like being aware of that. And one of the best tricks for really getting into a playful mood is to use music and use music that excites you, that brings back fun memories. So for me lately, I'm like, oh my God, this is like Spice Girls Pandora. I'm like, I've listened to this for like, 10, 15 years. And it's just like all these like old 90s songs that used to bring like so much joy when I was growing up, whatever, in the 90s. Or like Bob Marley stations. And it brings me to like these tropical events that I've, it's just like, it just will transport you. And it really ignites like this freedom from within. So use music, play with music to get in that fun space. And it's a good little kickstart to get your mind there. Yeah, music is a great other tool. And I think what's important here is some of it is about reducing unnecessary friction and maintaining and guarding your and protecting energy where needed. And then also doing more of the things that give you back energy or like procreate more energy. So so on both of those things, for example, the music, the things we just talked about, play, all of that, nature, giving you more energy, and then finding the things that reduce it, doing these brain dumps that you mentioned earlier in our conversation, which I actually, I am not a big writing journaler, but I started, I had started like doing what I call like self-coaching sessions, like audio recordings where I just think through things or now some of these just brain dumps. They're not, I haven't done them in the morning, but again, taking these pieces of advice and finding what works best for you. If it's not writing the brain dump, try recording it. If it's not in the morning, maybe it's in the evening right? And figuring out whatever way is going to work best for you is the best because you're most likely to engage and actually get the value from it. 
So that being an example on the other side of things to reduce the energy depletion, we talked about cell phones and the warnings. And one of the things I always talk about with people is if you pick up your cell phone first thing in the morning, it's one thing maybe if, you know, you're turning off an alarm or putting on music or responding to a message from a family member. But if you're going on social media, you are relinquishing your own opportunity to start your day on your own terms. It is now up to the whim of whatever shows up in your feed, be it perhaps something really positive and inspiring or something really triggering or upsetting or annoying or distracting. You are passing over that permission and that power to define how your day begins and giving it up to the whims of social media. And so being more cognizant about those sorts of things and even those tiny changes in timing of maybe just getting up and doing one thing before doing, looking at your phone or a few minutes or a few hours, right, can build up. But even the tiniest changes sometimes are the ones that can have the biggest impact. Yeah. One of the other things that you talk about in regards to protecting energy or related to it is this idea of a sensory diet. Would you tell us a little bit about what that means and some of the ways that people can experiment with that in their own lives or what some of the biggest potential benefits of either practicing this or even just having awareness of it can be? Yeah, this is a term that I use frequently with a lot of the kids that I help in our practice. And essentially, it's looking at the different sensory systems that are comprised in our nervous system. So a few of those are like the vestibular system, proprioceptive system, visual, auditory, taste. So it's looking at when we step out into the world, we have all of this sensory input coming in from all these different angles. So knowing where our body is in space, what it, what we're seeing, what we're hearing, what we're smelling, what we're tasting, what we're feeling. And a lot of times our nervous system can be so almost like hijacked, like operating at such a heightened level that we feel like sensory overload. And so a great example is like, if you're in a car trying to find somewhere and like the music's really loud and you're lost and you are looking for this certain road, you like turn off the music. It like, that's gonna help you. That's right. Yeah, like it's it's gonna help you find, but that's like you automatically doing like a sensory strategy because there's too much sensory input. So when you take away that music or that radio, that is like your auditory system like shutting off tuning out so you can focus more on whatever the road so that's a great example of using like a sensory skill to be more focused in the moment so a lot of so I'll like share an example for me because it's like a very customized diet that we build out for high achievers so for me like I can get very overwhelms like when I when my kids are on me all day when I'm working and blah 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 doing all the things and then when I come home my husband's like rubbing like my shoulders and I'm like, like, do not touch me right now. I just need a moment, like a space break. Like, please don't touch. Like if the music's on, if there's bright lights, I will, I like, I don't want to be touched. I don't want the music on and I want the lights off. And so it's all these things where it's like, we're able to apply these calming sensory strategies to help us just totally regulate in the moment. And so There's a lot of different sensory approaches that we can use and implement throughout our day. Even things like 
swinging, deep belly breathing, windmills, chewing gum to help focus, sucking through a straw, cold water through a straw or a smoothie through a straw, paying attention to how much noise is coming in at you. So whether you need to have noise canceling headphones or calm, quiet music, dim lighting, a relaxing candle, a heavy weighted blanket, something tactile like therapy or dough to squeeze just to help like a little stress ball release. All of these things can help. This is just a brief example with our regulation, with regulating our nervous system, with giving it different sensory inputs or turning down certain sensory inputs or bringing up other sensory inputs to help with that overall homeostasis, that overall regulation, which is what we need more of as high achievers. So that's this one little sensory, I guess, feedback or sensory insight to take a few tips and apply them to our days to help with that regulation. I love that example of being in the car and needing to turn off the music. It's so, it's such a like cliche moment, right? Of whether it's ourselves we're thinking of or a parent or it's able, it's so easy to picture it and kind of understand it immediately. Just yesterday, I was trying to do some deep focus work and I tried putting on some music for deep focus and then it was too much and then even calmer. And then eventually I shortly after was like, nope, music's not doing it. I literally need silence. My So figuring out how your bandwidth works. And again, like we were talking about with energy, there are certain things that maybe stretch that bandwidth or certain things that maybe help it recover. So not only is being more aware of the sensory going to help understand why your mood is a certain way, but also reshaping the sensory environment around you can also help reshape your mood. And so being able to use that and leverage it kind of take that awareness and then leverage it for your own benefit. Well, I would love to explore that even more at some point and maybe see if you have any worksheets or tools where people can kind of design their own or understand what their current sensory diet is and maybe play around with how to redesign it. I know that we are out of time and we could continue talking for much longer, but I'm glad that we had these bite-sized Yay. moments to connect. And thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. Yay. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much to each and every one of you for tuning in to listen to our show. If you like what you learned and you know someone who might also like listening, please do share this podcast. You can also feel free to reach out to us anytime if you'd like to submit questions, requests for experts to have on the show, or if you'd like to share your positive feedback or constructive criticism. We'd love to hear what you think. It's the only way we can learn and grow along with you. Be sure to check out our website, follow us on Instagram at bbxx.world, and subscribe to the book club newsletter where we send out even more resources to help you dive even deeper to the topics that we bring to you on the show. Once again, we encourage you to take what we discuss on this show and apply it in your everyday life. Because remember, better relationships equals better life.